I think we're I think we're doing better, but there's quite a few people uh, that are still struggling with whatever is going around. The kids go back to school and they like to share stuff, amen. And they like to bring it home, and then we get to enjoy it. So, uh, but uh, anyways, it is good to be here this morning. Glad to be able to celebrate what we're celebrating today. I'm thankful for my church. I love my church, and I mean that. I don't just love my church on today. I love my church every day. I'm thankful for it, but I'm glad. Thankful to be able to uh, share that with you as a church family. All right, John chapter 1, and uh, let's look at uh, starting in verse uh, number 43. Uh, Still talking a little bit about Philip and digging into his character a little bit, learning more about his life, if you will. Uh, And then we'll talk about later on, if we can get to it, Nathaniel. Uh, And there's some great stuff in between that you might miss uh, if you're not paying attention. When it talks about the law and the prophets, uh, you, you need to pay attention to that. That's important. Uh, when it talks about the prophecy, the, the prophets, and, and foretelling about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, that's not a small thing. That's a big thing. Uh, if Jesus Christ is just like every other man, then, then listen, there, there's no prophecy foretelling of his life. Now, we know from the scriptures that's not true, and we're going to dig into that. But look at verse 43. The, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and findeth Philip, and say to him, follow me. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Just I want you to notice this. Uh, if you've got a red-letter Bible, you'll obviously see those two words, follow me, in, in red letters. And normally I don't, but I'm, I'm actually using, I'm using my preacher's Bible today. So I'm using Brother Billy's Bible, and the Lord just uh, burdened me to do that. So now I'm enjoying uh, some of the notes in his Bible. And, uh, but it, it says here, follow me. That's not a request. Okay. Follow me is not a request. Follow me is a command. Now, you don't have to. That, that's the thing about the Lord. He commands, but you don't have to follow. Uh, but I want to I remind you, follow me. The Lord didn't go, oh, you know, when you feel like it and things are better in your life and it's easier and you're out of this stage of life. And, and listen, I, I'm going to be honest with you. For the last 20 years, I've, I found myself saying, man, it's busy. Man, it's busy. Man, it's busy. You know, once you get married and you have kids, it's going to be busy. Okay, and then you have bills, and you have a job, it's going to be busy, and then you want to actually be active in your church, it's going to be busy. Listen, when you're dead, you can rest. Okay, for the, for the rest of eternity, you'll, you'll have rest. Uh, now's the time for labor, and we come up with all kinds of excuses to go, well, I can't right now. You know what's funny? People will do all kinds of stuff for their jobs that they will not do for church, and they won't do for the Lord. You know, they'll stay up late, they'll do this, they'll make themselves, I mean, just lose their minds. Hey, listen, you should, you should, I'm not telling you to burn out for God, and that's not the subject, but you should follow Him in your life. It's not a request, and it's not when you feel like it, it's not when it's easier, or once you pass this season of life. Listen, when you're a young mom having children, and these babies are coming out, you know, and you're, you know, wiping noses, and, and it's noses and bottoms for a couple of years, all right? And, and, and then, you know, you get through that stage, and then after that, smacking them around, you know, don't talk back to me, you know, and all, don't do that. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, all right? That's not how you should handle those situations. But you understand what I'm saying? You are going to be busy, and you will convince yourself later, 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 and eventually you're 65, 70, and you know what? You've got no energy. You've got no drive. I'm not picking. And if you're 65 or 70, you've got plenty of energy and drive. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, Okay. But there's many society at that age that don't. You know what they said? I'll follow him later. I'll follow him later. I'll, I'll get I'll involved in my church later. I'll get busy for God later. I'll be active later. And later never comes. You, see, you know what he said? He said, follow me. And I don't see where Philip was like, you know, um, I've got nothing. Now, there's some other people in the Bible that say, well, I've got to bury my father. Remember that? I got to do this. I got to do that. And Philip just, okay, he follows him. And the reason you know that is because the first thing that Philip does, look at verse 44. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So there's a, a, a familiarity with those guys there. Philip findeth, verse 45, findeth Nathanael. There's some intention there. You see, how do you know? Look at verse 43 again. You know what the Lord does? He finds Philip. He's looking for him. Can I ask you a question? What are you looking for today? 
Do you ever stop and look for people to help? Here's what I've learned. The people that are the most miserable in life are the ones that are always looking at themselves. And if you would learn to go, let me go find someone that needs my help. You'd look at life so much differently. But what happens is you, if you're not careful as a Christian, you can tend to live on an island where it's kind of like, I've got all these issues, I've got all these problems, and no one understands me, and I'm all by myself. And it's like the world is literally on fire around you, and all you're doing is sitting on your island worried about you. And I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm just telling you, that, that's a tendency for all of us, preacher included. And you know what Philip, you know what the Lord does in verse 43? He finds Philip. That means he was looking for something. And you know what Philip does in verse 45? He finds Nathaniel, which means he was looking for something. So I'm asking you this morning, what are you looking for? And, and when, when Philip is, is, is found, you see the, 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 there's a ministry that, that takes place in his life. There's a process of growth. I mentioned this last week. Uh, Philip is the one in John 12 that the Greeks come to and say we would see Jesus. He's the one that says, show us the Father. He's listed with the apostles after the resurrection in Acts chapter 1. But go to Acts chapter 6 with me. Acts chapter 6, just to learn a little bit more about the life of Philip. Acts chapter 6. That's how you learn the Bible, amen? One verse after another, right? Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, look if you would at verse number 5. Now, let me, let me actually go back a little bit. Go back to verse number one, just some context. All right, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, stop. Is that not what every church wants? We want our church to grow, right? You guys want that? I do. Uh, now, then here's what you have to be aware of. Mo people, mo problems. Okay? If you don't want that, stick to us four and no more and don't reach out to anybody and make it so exclusive that nobody can ever reach how spiritual you are. And, and, and th- there are churches that way, unfortunately. I don't want to be that church. Uh, but, but look, if you would, I don't think we are that church by the grace of God. But, but notice this, that when the disciples were multiplied, that means there were more people coming into the church, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. You know what you had? You had a little bit of a, a racial division within the church. Guys, racial tension is not a new American thing in 2022. It's anytime you get groups of people that are different. How about this? Take race out of it. Let's get old people around young people. The old people go, you guys are idiots and you don't know anything. You know, you're sagging your pants all the way to the ground. Pick up your stinking pants, you know. And, and, and then the young guys, look at the old people, go, they're so out of touch. They just don't understand us. You're going to have that problem when you get different people around each other, right? You get men and women, in the, contrary to what they're trying to tell you in 2022, men and women are very different. All right. Uh, a woman can remember something that happened on Thursday night, uh, August 17th in 1975, what you were wearing, where you were standing, what you said, and she's holding on to it for the last 40 some years. And a guy, she brings it up to the guy and he's like, I was there. <laughs> we're not the same. You get men and women in the same room. You can have, it, what I'm trying to get at is this. All right, people talk about diversity all the time. Well, diversity, there, there's a price with it. And the price is when you get different people together, there's going to be some conflict. But do you know what the unifying factor is? The unifying factor is not, you know, let's be colorblind. All the stuff that the world tries to do to try to uh, cover the issues that are there within the... By the way, real racism, not like, you know, the fact that we think we're different. That's not racism. That's called having a brain. I'm not Joe's color. Not my fault, not Joe's fault, man. That's how God made us. All right, so, so all the, the, the garbage the world tries to put out there to cover things up, that's not going to work. Do you know what the real issue is? When you see yourself in light of, of who God is, you quit going, I'm proud because I'm Puerto Rican. I'm proud because I'm white. I'm proud because I'm black. You go, I'm thankful to be a born-again child of God. Yeah. Unifying factor. That's it. Now, do you know what happens here? They've got this racial tension in the church, and, and, and there's a group of people, the Grecians, who are, they're kind of the outsiders. Let's be honest about it. They're, the, the Hebrews, the Jews, I mean, they, they've kind of owned the Bible for the last couple thousand years. And now the Greeks are kind of coming in into this thing called the church that has never existed before. And the Lord's like, all right, you guys get along and play along nicely. And there's some problems. And, and so the, the Grecians are going, hey, we're being neglected. And all you apostles, all you Jewish apostles, all you're doing is caring about those Jewish old ladies not taking care of us. Uh, look at verse number two. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It doesn't mean it was beneath them. 
By the way, if serving is beneath you, then leading is above you. It's beyond you. You need to be a servant. They weren't saying serving tables is below us. They were saying, look, what God has called us to do is minister the word of God. And if we, if we forsake that to do everything everyone's asking us to do, then we will neglect the most important ministry in your life. I could visit everybody every single day till the cows come home, not have time to be my word, not have time to pray, get up on Sunday and give you garbage and do nothing for your life. But I made you feel good throughout the week because I took time with you. Now, that doesn't mean I shouldn't visit people. You understand what I'm saying, though. This was the problem. They couldn't be everywhere at once. So you know what they did? Look at verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this what? It's the Lord's business. It's the most important business in your life. And, 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 so, and so what they're doing is they're going, hey, look, we are, as, as the elders, as the pastors, we can't, uh, take, uh, we can't forsake the word of God and do everything everyone's asking us to do. We need some help here. So look, if you would, at verse uh, number five, four, we will give ourselves continually to what? To prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. That's the first martyr that you're going to read about in the next chapter. A man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And look at the next guy. It's Philip, isn't it? It is, uh, in the original Spanish, Felipe. All right? Philip is, you know what that is? This is the original uh, calling out of the deacons in the church. Now, if you want to learn more about uh, deacons and about uh, kind of the, for lack of a better term, qualifications, you can go to 1 Timothy and read about that later. But what I'm trying to show you is this. Philip was a man who could be counted on. Philip was a man who had a spiritual bone in his body and had discipline and could be counted on to minister to other people. Now, I think one of the problems that you have in church sometimes is this. We confuse talent with discipline. Uh, someone might be a talented speaker. It doesn't mean they have the discipline to be consistent and faithful in ministering to people as they ought to be. And you need that. Uh, I'd rather have some people get up to sing that aren't the greatest singers in the world. Good morning, young man. They're not the greatest singers in the world, but, but they love God and they're doing what they can. I'd rather have that. And they take it seriously and they pray over it and they're crying and asking God to fill them with the Holy Spirit versus someone that doesn't practice, doesn't care, they're talented, gets up here, wows everybody with their talent. I say to that, <laughs> no, thank you. I don't want that. You know why? Because that's not what matters. You know what matters with God? Are you disciplined? Can you show up? Can, can you minister to other people? Now, now, I'll tell you what's wrong with the church today. Go to Revelation chapter number 3. Not in my notes. I'm going on, on, a, on an audible here, so we'll see how this goes. Revelation chapter 3, just trying to follow the Holy Spirit this morning. Amen. It's kind of what we all ought to be doing, I guess. But uh, look at Revelation chapter 3. And uh, look, if you would, at verse uh, number 14. And of the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. Do you know what Laodicea means? It means rights of the people. This is the last church mentioned in church history. Now, I don't, I don't want to go too far off on this, but if you study church history, what you'll find out is that the seven churches that are listed out in the book of Revelation in those first three chapters, they are seven literal churches in history. So they were literal historical places where people congregated and had uh, congregations and assemblies of believers. All right? Uh, they're also a picture of seven periods of church history all right and then lastly i believe there's application prophetically uh seven churches that uh seven groups of people that might be ministered to in the great tribulation and i don't have time to go into all of that right now but here's here's what i want you to look at right now seven periods of church history so you get through there and you start with you know uh ephesus and you go through all these different churches and then you get down to laodicea Laodicea is the last one mentioned. Uh, who's familiar with Southeast Asia, the country of Laos? You know what Laos means? It means the people. It's, it's a Latin term. All right, so, all right, decia. All right, you say, where does it come from? Think about this in Spanish, derechos. All right, or in Latin, decia. All right, so what is it? You know what this is? It's the rights of the people. And you know what's interesting about this? 
you know the, the old, that old verse that everybody talks about all the time, I, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will open the door and all that stuff, you know, people, we use that to minister to someone that's lost and say, the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart, you need to get saved. Nothing wrong with that from a practical application, but from a doctrinal application, that's not what it is. It's the Lord standing outside of a church going, hey, don't you want me on the inside of this thing? And you know which church it is? It's this one right here. You know what the problem is with modern-day Christians? All they want to do is think about their rights. You know what Paul says? And I'm, I'm, listen, I'm not saying I'm, I, I'm, I'm not a part. I've got to watch it in me because this is the world that I live in. Are you listening? It's not like I'm saying you guys. It's, it's all of us. This is the world we live in. It, it used to be that there were commercials on TV. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to remember commercials on TV for the Art Institute. You know, if you can draw and you can do this. Remember that? Daytime TV, it was filled with opportunities to educate yourself. That was the commercials. You know what the commercials are now? If you're suffering from this or this or this or this or this, take this pill. Or if you're suffering from this and this and this, get the strong arm, Frank Azar. Frank Azar, the strong arm got me $5 million that I deserved. Well, you should have been stupid looking at your phone walking across the street. That was your fault. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, that's the world we live in. It's all about my rights. Instead of thinking about what about serving others, what about serving God? And so the idea is that Philip himself, here's Philip. We know that he reaches out right after he gets saved. He goes and he looks for somebody else. I say saved in a loose sense. What I mean is once he finds Jesus, he goes out and he finds somebody else that needs to meet Jesus. He has conversations with the Lord. He invites the Greeks to come see Jesus. This is someone that's got some biblical character to him. And later on in the book of Acts, when they're looking for deacons, he steps up. He steps up when maybe other people didn't want to. You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to get to heaven and see how many opportunities I missed out on. And somebody else took my spot because I wasn't willing to get in there. I'll tell you what, I, I, I hope the longer life goes on that those become fewer and fewer. Amen. I, I really do. Look at, if you would, at uh, Acts chapter number 8. Let's look at something else about Philip. Acts chapter 8. You know what Philip's willing to do? Philip is willing to leave the razzle-dazzle and the excitement and go minister to one person. Right. <laughs> you know what's hard to do? Um, now listen, when uh, Peter and James and John or on that Mount of Transfiguration. Do you guys remember that in Matthew 17? Uh, Peter's like, Lord, it's been good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles. Now, you may not have thought about this, but a tabernacle was something that you would pitch and you would stay there for a long time. You would dwell there. It wasn't just like throw it up and then leave. Uh, Oftentimes in the Old Testament, I'm reading about this right now in Numbers, the tabernacle would be set up and the people would not move until the Lord said it's time to go. And so, and so they, sometimes they'd be there for a year, just sitting there waiting for God to move. That's a good thing to do, by the way. Don't, don't get ahead of God. Let him move first, all right? Yeah. Having said that, Peter goes, man, this has been fun. This has been exciting. Can we just always live in blowout mode? Can we always live in revival mode? Can we just always have like three days straight of preaching? No, you would die. <laughs> like you, you, you have regular life you have to deal with. You can't always live in excitement mode. Sometimes you got to leave the excitement and deal with the things that God wants you to deal with in your life. Now, you know what Philip does? He does exactly that. Look at Acts chapter 8. Look, if you would, at verse number... Well, let's go back a little bit. Go back to, oh, let's see here, uh, 14. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. I don't have to have anyone pray for me to receive the Holy Ghost. I get them right when I get saved. So why you better be real careful about building your doctrine in the book of Acts. It's a transitional book, which that's another message for another time. Uh, look at what it says in verse 16. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now there's a story with Simon and all the stuff that Simon, not, not Simon Peter, but Simon who wanted this power, and, and, and Peter rebukes him for, for trying to buy the Holy Spirit with money. Uh, but look if you would down at verse number... Uh, 25. And they, when they had testified, and by the way, you ought to be ready to testify today, man. We hope you come out to the property and testify today. Uh, you say, why is it so cold in the building? We're getting you ready for outside later, all right? All right. But it, it says they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So the Gentiles, the Samaritans are half Jewish, half Gentile. They're getting in on it. They're getting saved. It's pretty exciting. It's an exciting time to be at this location. Look at verse 26. 
And the angel of the Lord spake unto who? You know what that tells us? He was in the, mix of, uh, in the mix with all that. He was in the midst of all that. And the angel of the Lord speaking to Philip and said, Arise and go toward the south on the way that go down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. The Lord came to you and said, I want you to leave all the fun, all the excitement, all the razzle-dazzle. You know, uh, uh, you, you won't be associated with all the other converts that get saved. Uh, that's going to be somebody else's fruit that they're going to enjoy. Stop what you're doing here. I want you to go, and I want you to go to a desert. And when you get there, you're going to have one, an audience of one. Who wants to leave the crowd to go to one? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm glad Jesus left heaven and came for me. He came for one. And he came for you, and he came for you, and he came for you. That's our job. Philip has some characters what I'm trying to get across to you. Uh, look at verse number uh, 27. And he arose and went. Do you notice Philip doesn't argue with the Lord? You notice Philip doesn't say when my kids are older? Do you notice Philip doesn't say, well, you know, uh, when things are smoother in my life? You can be waiting a long time if you just keep waiting until things are smooth in your life. Um, you know, you, you're going to wait so long, you're going to get to heaven and go, man, Lord, I can serve you now. The Lord's like, nope, no need now, you're good. That, that's, that's not what you want. <laughs> so, so listen, he asked him to go to the desert, and the man, the Bible says in verse 27, he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, Acts 8.27 who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near. Are, are you watching this, guys? Philip was led of the Spirit when he became a deacon. Philip was led of the Spirit when he was there to, to, to preach to those people in Samaria. And then he was led of the Spirit when he left that, that, that excitement of that revival and went down by himself with no other help and nobody else supporting him down by the desert. And he goes and he witnesses to this one man. And then when he gets there, the Spirit goes, Okay, you've come this far. Don't stop. There he is. Go all the way to the chariot. You say, what is that? That's how you live your life every single day. Let me ask you a question. I'm not trying, to, be, I'm not trying to, 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 to beat up on you. When's the last time that you could say, I listened to the Spirit of God, and I had a chance to tell somebody about Jesus Christ, and that's how my day went? You know, for a lot of Christians, they think of the five times in their life that's happened. Praise God for those five times. But I think the Lord wants more. And, and I think there's more for all of us in there. And what I'm trying to get you to see is this, is that he's the one that wins the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. Uh, look at Acts chapter 21. Just learning about Philip this morning. Acts 21. Acts chapter 21. You guys ever been around fishermen? You want to learn about how to fish? I'm not talking about fishing for men. Um, we got some people that can tell you how to fish for men here, I, 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 I believe. Uh, but if you want to fish for fish, talk to Dennis Schleer right there. That guy can fish. I think the guy could probably do it blindfolded, all joking aside. He's a good fisherman. Um, y- do you know what you do when you want to learn about a subject matter? You go to an expert. All right? You, you want to learn about how to win people to Jesus Christ? You spend time with Jesus Christ. Amen. You know what Philip did? He spent time with the Lord so that when it was his time to serve, he was ready for it. Uh, look at Acts 21 and look at the title uh, that's given here. Look at Acts 21 and verse number 8. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of who? Philip. And what's his title? All right. Now, the way that we as Americans, and, and I want to be careful how I frame this, uh, lest you think that I, you know, we have uh, my former pastor, Brother Ianello, is an evangelist. Uh, Brother David Spurgeon is an evangelist. Uh, Dr. Sam Gipp is an evangelist. And all these men have amazing ministry. So what I'm about to say, I don't want you to take the wrong way. But the way we use that term often these days is a little bit different than, than maybe how it was seen back then. All right. It, right now, we kind of limit that to someone that goes from church to church and preaches and stirs up the saints and all that. But I, I want you to look at kind of the, the, uh, the core of this word. All right. So think about this evangelist. Now, if you study your Bible, you, you don't have to go to the original Greek, but for some people that kind of like that kind of stuff, the, the, the word in Greek, and I'm going to try to remember how to say it right, it's euangelion, uh, all right? And that's evan, that's the, go- you know what that is? It's this, it's the gospel. Now, do you know what? You don't need to know Greek to know that. You can compare scripture with scripture, and you, you'll find out when someone is an evangelist, and they're involved in evangelism, what are they preaching? 
But what they're preaching is the gospel. So you know when it says that Philip's the evangelist, you know what he basically is being noted for? He's being noted for being a soul winner. He's made his ministry going to different places and preaching the gospel. And sometimes the, the saints, us, those that are saved, get stirred up, and that's a good thing. And sometimes lost people get saved, and that's a great thing as well. Amen? But, but this is what Philip is known for. He's called the evangelist. Let me ask you a question real quickly, just a practical thought. If someone had to put the, a title and put the blank in front of your name, what would it be? Now, there's nothing wrong with some of you like, well, they give me some really bad blank titles, amen? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I mean, I mean about your testimony with the Lord. I, I hope it wouldn't be Adrian the hypocrite. Right. You, you hear me? I hope it wouldn't be, you know, Adrian the selfish. Adrian. I, I hope they would go, man, that, that, that guy's a preacher. And look, we all have different things that we have going where we're parents, some of us are fathers and wives and husbands and all that stuff. And nothing wrong with those titles. Those are, those are positions that God allows us to be in. Praise God for that. All right. However, man, what a title that is. For someone look at you say, what are, we, what are we learning about Philip? Philip, from the moment he gets to meet the Lord, he's involved in bringing other people to him. And I just, I love learning. I, I love that. Look at Ephesians chapter four real quickly. And, and, and just to kind of prove what I'm talking about with this whole term evangelist, uh, look at Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, think of it this way. Does the word missionary show up in your Bible? No, it does not. All right. Are we four missionaries? Absolutely. Do you know, do you know what a missionary probably would have been noted as in the Bible? As an evangelist. Well, you might use the word ambassador. That's another one. Uh, but uh, look at Ephesians chapter 4. And look, if you would... At verse number 11, this is kind of going to give you a little bit of understanding chronologically how the Lord laid out things in church history, all right? He gave some apostles. That was a unique office, Acts chapter 1, those that are there from the baptism of John to the ascension of Jesus Christ, and there's a few exceptions, but the exceptions prove the rule, all right? So the apostles was a very select group of people. It wasn't everyone that was a disciple. There were many disciples in Jesus' day. They were not all apostles. That's why the apostolic signs were given to the apostles specifically. Are you with me so far? All right, so the apostles, then notice what happens after the apostles are there. Some prophets, those are preachers, and before the scriptures are, are all put together, you got people that are prophesying about the future because it's not all put down in a book. Uh, there's a guy named Agabus in the book of Acts who prophesies about a famine that was coming in their day. Nothing wrong with that, but I'll say this. If I prophesy today, do you know where I'm going to prophesy from? From the scriptures. I'm not going to go, I had a dream, and this happened, and that happened. I'm going to go, uh, the Bible says, uh, the Bible says, the Bi when someone says, what about the future? What about the stock market? What about this one? By the way, I got to get this off my chest. Americans, you got to get a hold of this. Uh, you think we're going through the tribulation or we're going to go through the tribulation because the stock market's crashing and they're talking about this and they're about that. Guys, there are people that have, Christians, that have been living in abject poverty for the last 2,000 years. Just because we're going to go through some trouble right now doesn't mean that now it's the great tribulation. First off, it's bad doctrine, and secondly, it's just selfish, amen? All right? So you got evangelists, you got, I'm sorry, you got apostles and prophets, and then what's after that? And then, once you go and you preach the gospel, which is what an evangelist does, and you get churches established, they need pastors. All right? So this is the layout. This is God's plan for church history. And Philip is part of that plan. My question is this. Don't you want to be a part of that plan? I do. I do. Look, at, look back at John chapter number 1. John chapter number 1. Am I doing this right? Click, click, click. It's got a mind of its own. Uh, we'll go to the next slide, brother. Uh, John chapter number one. There will be no electronic devices in heaven. Amen. John chapter number one. Look, if you would, at verse number 45. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him. I love that. I love that. Hallelujah, I have found him. Uh, recently, someone uh, was, was uh, messaging me and trying to say, you know, you need to broaden your horizons and consider this point of view. And I, I, the, the reality is this, before I ever got behind a pulpit, I considered a lot of points of view. That's what Bible school was for. For those that don't know, I took two years of advanced theology, which, and that, 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 before you take that the wrong way, that doesn't mean, I know something that you don't. I'm just trying to get you to understand, like, I, I, I sat there and listened to what philosophers think about things, and they're stupid. 
they're dumb. I'm sorry. Philosophers sit around and, you know, are we really here? You know, and, uh, just all that kind of garbage. I had, to, I had to sit through two years of that. I hated it. I listened to other points of view. I, I chewed on it, and I thought about, what if that was right? And how does that sit with the order of the universe? This is not the first time in my life that a new principle has been presented to me. But I have found him. <laughs> That's all that I need. I don't need all that other stuff because I sifted through that, and I found him. <laughs> Hallelujah, I have found him. You know, what, you know what he says here? Hey, Nathaniel, we have found him. <laughs> well, who'd you find, man? Of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Let me, let me give you a couple of things here. All right, now, number one, when it comes to the fact that we have found him, I, I think of uh, uh, Mary and Joseph when they left their son in the temple and they left Jesus there and they go away and they come back. And it, uh, I, I do want to point something out, and it's this. It took them a day to realize that he wasn't there. And it took them three days to get back. But you know what they didn't do when they got there? Oh, what a waste of a trip. You know what they were happy? They were happy they found him. And you know what that's a good picture of? It's a good picture of the fact that whether you got saved, now look, the best way to do this is get saved young. Stay right with God young. Marry right. All that, st- all that stuff. But let's be honest, not everybody has that opportunity. Not everybody gets that. All right, and not really was raised in that. And, and so the, the, the truth is, whether you found him at, at, you know, 15 or whether you find him at 50, hallelujah, I found him. Amen. Amen. Uh, and don't waste time uh, crying over the years that were gone. Do what you can now to serve Jesus Christ. That's the idea. Now, now he says this in this verse. You want to make sure you get this. He talks about two components of the Old Testament. He mentions the law and the prophets. Now, uh, go, if you would, to John chapter 8. I want you to see there's a, an automatic connection to Moses and the law. Oftentimes, they'll refer to, in the Gospels, when the Pharisees come up to Jesus, they'll say, Moses said this, what do you say? As a matter of fact, Jesus himself says, uh, he talks about Moses writing from the beginning, it was not this way, talking about marriage, you know, God made them one and all that stuff, Matthew 19. So, so Jesus himself will reference what you find in the book of Genesis. Do you know there are scholars that say, we're not sure who wrote the book of Genesis? Well, uh, how about this? How about you listen to the greatest scholar of all time, Jesus Christ himself. And, and when he talks about marriage, he talks about, he attributes that to Moses' writing over there in the gospel. So what I, what I want you to get a hold of is this. Moses is very closely associated with the law or the Old Testament law. All right, look at John chapter number 8. Uh, John chapter number 8. And look, if you would, at, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. At least I've caught it myself before you had to catch me, Jackie. Amen. All right. John chapter 8, look, if you would, at verse 4. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Oh, in the very, like, okay, so how did you, anybody else ever have questions about this at all? Like, how does that, yeah, let's move on. Look at verse 5. Now Moses in the what? commanded us that, that, that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? So the Pharisees are bringing up the fact that the law is attributed to Moses. Look at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Go a little bit to the left. Luke 24. You need to be familiar with this. When we talk about the law, uh, now I don't, look, the reason I bring up these, I want to be real clear. I don't get anything out of using the original uh, languages and words from the original languages uh, it doesn't do a thing for me because everything I learned of any import, I came from my English Bible. The reason I do it is because there are some wise people out the wise guys out there that go, do you know about the Nevim? <laughs> you mean the law? Well, yeah, but I knew it in the Hebrew. It sounds more important, right. you know? Or, or do you know about the Nephilim? Oh, the Nephilim, Genesis. Is that the word your Bible uses? No. Where'd you hear it? YouTube. <laughs> Come on, be honest. You didn't read it in Hebrew uh, lexicon. You didn't read it in there. You know you didn't. You heard it on YouTube. You repeated it. You don't even know how it's spelled, somebody, but you're saying it. Just, can we just do this? Can we, can we, can we understand that when, when, at least at this church, when I bring up the original languages, the reason I'm doing it is to shut the mouths of smart people that think they're going to lord over you because they know something you don't. That's the only effect. That's the only reason I'm ever going to do that. All right? Now, having you say, why? Because, uh, sorry, I need to get, be careful because I don't want to get off on a tangent. But he, here's the problem. The problem is this. When you go from one language to another, when I'm going from English to Spanish, I can usually think about five different words that I could take from this language to this one to describe that one word. Yeah. 
I, I, I could. Now, 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 you say, what is that? It's called linguistics. So the problem is this. When you go to your Bible, and your Bible uses one singular word, and it could have been in these other four words, you've got to trust that God took the word that you needed in 2022 and put it there in your Bible. All right? So having said all that, I'll move on. I'll just calm down a little bit. Look at Luke 24. I, I do, I just, I've been around it for a long, I'm sorry guys, when I get around people that go, the original word is this. You know, some guy gets something, the original word, first off, you weren't there when they wrote it, sucker. Secondly, there are a lot of words that could have been used there. You have to rely on manuscripts, and the ones that you're reading half the time aren't any good, and how you determine which ones are good or bad, and by the way, the oldest is not always the best. So there's all kinds. Once you get into that world, boy, that's a different animal altogether. But what I'm trying to get at is this. Trust that God put the words in your Bible that you needed, okay? All right, so having said that, the, the, the prophets is, is the reference to uh, when you get to the, the, the law, you got different uh, uh, divisions in the Old Testament. Look at Luke chapter 24 and look, if you would, at verse number, oh, that's not going to be verse number 45, I believe. Verse 44, verse 44, sorry guys, verse 44. There are three divisions in your Old Testament, all right? And you're going to see this. You guys go ahead and read the verse for yourselves. You have Moses, you have the prophets, and you have the writings. Now notice in that case, he doesn't say the law. Did you see that? He says Moses, all right? So you know what Moses represents in that case? The law, all right? So you compare Scripture with Scripture, you can get a hold of that. So, so you've got the law and the prophets. And then there's this third category, Right, the writings, or or as it says there, the Psalms. Okay, and, and so what you have is you've got some poet, poetic books in the Old Testament. All right. By the way, some of those poetic books have a lot of prophecy in them too, so don't let that fool you. All right. The Psalms has a ton in there. All right. But you've got the law, you've got the prophets, and you've got the writings. Now, oftentimes uh, this kind of gets left out, even though it is part of the Old Testament. It is one of those divisions. But the two major divisions that are repeated over and over and over and over in your Old Testament are the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. What say the law and the prophets? What, say the, what do they say in the law? And the, they always go back to that. All right. And, 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 and the reason for that is, is the law was given by God to Moses for the nation of Israel. And the prophets were men of Israel that God uh, called and God spoke to and spoke through to give his words to his people. So those go back to what is the law and the prophets? What is the law and the prophets, all right? So that's important for a number of reasons, but look, if you would, at Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation chapter 19. There are a number of things that make your Bible different, a number of things that make your Savior different, all right? Uh, one of the things that, uh, that is clear is prophecy. That sets your Bible apart. Uh, by the way, when you start reading the prophecies of Nostradamus and things like that, and then you compare it to biblical prophecy, it's not even close. I mean, it's nowhere in the same ballpark. Um, Revelation chapter 19, uh, look if you would at verse number 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of what? All right, you know what makes Jesus different? You know what makes this, this book different? Is the fact that things are foretold before they happen. And, and what you have is basically the God of history telling you history before it happens. All right, people will say oftentimes, this book's a religious book. I was driving yesterday. I thought this was hilarious. Only in Colorado, man. Lands of, we're becoming the land of fruits and nuts. Um, but dr driving, driving back from the mountains yesterday, and uh, I saw a billboard. It's, I forget exactly where it's at, but it's eastbound coming down from the mountains. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, let me know. And it says, uh, uh, freedom from religion. We need freedom from religion in, in our government. I thought, really? How much more freedom do you want from religion? I mean, I thought you guys won that a while ago, and I don't think it's going so great. Crime's up. Yeah. Drug use is up. You, you really want to keep, I mean, do we want to play that game? Look around you, son. Do you really, you think this is going so well by taking religion out of, first off, I don't want religion, in the, a state religion. Baptists were the first ones to say we don't want that. If you study American history, all right. But, but, but it's just amazing to me that people are so scared. What you, if it's all fake, why does it bother you so much? What are you so afraid of? If the Bible's just a book, as they say, written by man, what's the deal? 
Now, let me give you three things real quickly that I believe are, are unique about Jesus Christ. Number one, the historical accuracy and narrative of the Gospels. All right? Uh, to have uh, four different perspectives of one man's life, and they complement each other, and they give different points of view, and they have detail that's not mentioned in one that's mentioned in the other. Uh, people that do forensic uh, studies after a crime is done, they will tell you that the way the Gospels are laid out makes a whole lot more sense than one guy writing 27 books by himself and going, an angel came to me, nobody else saw it, I saw it, I was the only one, you got to trust me. That's not how your Bible's laid out. All right. Uh, secondly, uh, when you, we talk about historical accuracy, let me ask you this. If Jesus Christ is a historical figure, and he is, you have secular historians that write about him, where's his body? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I bet, you know, they, they guys, you're going to tell me that fishermen uh, could do a better job of hiding his body than the Roman government could have done? Right. Of keeping that body safe? You're gonna, uh, when you go through this thing, when people talk and shoot their mouth off, they don't think about what they're saying. They're saying something they heard from someone else without thinking about it. Well, someone stole his body. Well, okay, well, who was that one? And how'd they get past the guards? Guys that will listen, listen. You know what Peter did? He takes a sword out and takes a guy's ear off. Those soldiers are looking at him like, sucker, if you'd done it to me, it would have been your head. These are the guys that are taking Jesus Christ and putting holes all over him. They don't think twice about it. You think if someone was coming at that grave, and by the way, under Roman law, if someone escapes, it's off with your head, which is why in Acts 16, when the chains fell off and Paul and Silas are in that jail in Philippi, that guy grabs his sword and he's about to fall on it. Why? Because Roman law was, if they escape, you're dead. So you're going to tell me that Roman, a bunch of Roman dudes, rough and tough dudes, have some fishermen that come to fight them? Yeah, what are the fishermen going to do, throw their nets at them? Seriously. Yeah. Think, think through it. Well, I mean, how does this happen? The answer is, that's foolishness. That's, how, that's what that is. The Bible is historically accurate. Secondly, you got the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No one can refute this. And when they try to historically, it's a really hard argument. Thirdly, the prophecy of the scriptures. You know what you've got here? You've got prophecy going back to the book of Genesis. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to go through just some of these, not all of them, for sake of time. Genesis chapter 3. Man, I started looking at this, and I thought, there's no way to contain That's why the, the, the script up here is so small. I, I kept writing them. I'm like, I need to stop. <laughs> there's, there's, there's too many to go through. Uh, look at Genesis chapter 3. Right from the beginning, right? Right from the beginning, you've got prophecy about Jesus Christ. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, look, if you would... At verse number, but I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to give you some courage, Christian, because some of you go out in the world and you hear people talk about some silly thing they watched on the History Channel and you got scared and you don't want to talk about the Bible anymore because they, they got some secret mysterious thing that they found in some ruin somewhere. And you know what that is? That's a bunch of garbage. Yeah. But you get scared because you hear that stuff and you go, I don't know, I don't know what they know. Here's what you, here's what you did. Here's what you know, or here's what they know. They wasted an hour of their life on a documentary going to a, a third-party source and they should have just opened the book for themselves. Yeah. Look at Genesis chapter 3, look at verse number 15. And I will put enmity between thee, that's, that is the serpent, and the woman. And between thy seed, that's the Antichrist, and her seed. You say, what is that? Go to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. What's that talking about? I think we, uh, we're in mixed company, so I'll be careful how I say this, but from biology class, you should understand that uh, women don't have seed. All right? You carry that seed and bring forth life, uh, but women don't. So when it says that there's going to be enmity between thy seed and her seed, either God's confused or he's trying to tell you something. Look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall what? Conceive. You say, what is that, that seed of the woman? It's, that, it's the birth of Jesus Christ. This is foretold right, from the, right in the garden. As soon as sin enters in the picture, the Lord shows up and he goes, hey, I've got a plan. I've got a way to remedy this problem. It's going to take a couple thousand years to get there, but it's coming. <laughs> and, and, and you know what it says there? It says, uh, go back to, I'm sorry, go back to Genesis chapter 3 and look at what it says about that serpent. Genesis chapter 3 about the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse number 15 one more time. And it says this, it, the seed of the woman, shall bruise thy head. You know, that's a reference to, that's not a reference to the cross as much as it is the second coming. 
uh, Psalms and Joel and a number of the prophets speak about the fact that Jesus Christ, when he comes, he will stomp out the heads of his enemies. And starting with the Antichrist, the, leader, the ringleader of the whole entire battle of Armageddon, Revelation chapter number 19. So it says this, again, the Bible is a very intricate book. And, and you don't approach this book like every other book. And it's not just written by men. There's no way that something takes place, some innocent story about two people in a garden takes place, and all of a sudden you've got this prophecy going back thousands of years, and it's right on the money. Look, look again at verse 15. It says there, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You know what you've got there? You've got the first and second coming separated by a comma. That second coming is mentioned first, and that first coming is mentioned second. You say, what happened? Well, the serpent bruised his heel. Uh, and it looked like, it, from the, the vantage point of the devil, it looked like he won at the cross. But the Bible says in Colossians that when he arose and he ascended up, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. He went, na 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 boo boo Right? I mean, that's what he did. You can't keep me down. You can't keep a good man down, right? Uh, so look at Genesis chapter 49. Genesis 49. Genesis 49. Genesis 49. Look, if you would, at verse number 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. You know what that means? Someone would come from his loins, eventually from the tribe of Judah, that would be a lawgiver. Now, if you're familiar with your Bible, you know what you might be tempted to say? Well, the lawgiver is Moses. Moses gave us the law. Question, what tribe is Moses from? From the tribe of Levi. They made great genes way back then. I'm just kidding. Uh, so... He's from the tribe of Levi. What tribe just got mentioned in that verse? Judah. So question, can this be Moses? No. Someone's going to come from Judah that's going to be a lawgiver. All right? And he says, the scepter shall not depart. In other words, there will always be a king coming from Judah. You know what Jesus Christ is called? He's called the lion of the tribe of? All right, look at Psalm chapter number two. Psalm chapter number two. Psalm chapter number two. Now, you may go, Pastor, how does this apply to my life? If God can lay all of this out and all of it comes to pass, he's got you. He's got you covered. He's got your bills covered. He's got your, you know, he, he knows how to handle what's going on in your life. If he can do all this, he can handle whatever's going on in your life. Look at Psalm chapter two. And this is a second advent. If you're taking notes in your Bible, you can write this there. Second advent passage. What that means is, uh, this is talking about what the heathen or what the world is saying during the Great Tribulation, right before Jesus Christ comes back to establish his kingdom in his second coming. Look at Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together, like the United Nations Council against the Lord and against his anointed. That's the Christ. That word anointed is like what you read about in the New Testament, uh, the word Christ. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the anointed of God, saying, let us break their bands asunder. You say, who's there? God the Father, God the Son. We don't want either of them around. Freedom from religion. We're getting ready for it, guys. Yeah. Everything the world is banging on the door for, they're going to get, and when they get, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna wish they hadn't asked for it. All right, but look at what it says in... Uh, Verse number seven, all right? I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. There's the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Watch this in verse nine. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Why is he talking to kings? Because the real king's about to show up. All right, you say, what is that? The, the, uh, a, a lawgiver shall come from Judah. Say, who's the lawgiver? Look at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 20. We'll stop here because we're running out of time. But boy, we could go on and on and on. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, look if you would, at verse number 9. Matthew 21, verse 9. 
And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of who? Well, what tribe is David from? Judah. You know, right? so you know what, you know what uh, David is? He's of the line of Judah. And Jesus is called the son of David. So you know what that makes Jesus? Of the tribe of Judah. All right? Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. I've got news for you. He's not just the prophet. He's the prophet and the high priest after he dies for your sins. And I got news for you. He's not just the prophet and the high priest after he dies for your sins. But when he comes back, he'll be the king as well. And so you know what you have? You have prophet, priest, and king. You say, well, we're just reminded that the Bible is intricately woven together like a, a very intricate fabric woven together by the Holy Spirit of God himself. And so when it says the law, when, when, go back to John 1. When it says that, that uh, Philip is speaking to Nathaniel and he goes, man, man, we, we found him. We, we found him. Well, who'd you find? We found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did speak. Well, that's kind of a big deal, all right? Because the law and the prophets were pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. Look again at verse number 45. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now go down to verse 49. Do you know what Nathaniel's conclusion is? We'll talk about this next week. His conclusion after talking with Jesus Christ, you know what he says? He's the son of God. He's the king of Israel. Amen. We'll stop right there. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the time in it. Lord, thank you for being able to go verse by verse. God, you have, you've intricately laid out this book like no other book. We thank you for it. And God, I pray that your people would have confidence in it, Lord, that they might not, especially in these last days, they might not become weary and, Lord, might not uh, uh, shrink, uh, shirk back and kind of uh, stay in the shadows. But, Lord, while everything is coming out right now, would would us as your people, Lord, would you help us to come out and be a little bit more loud for you, Lord, a little bit more visible, a little bit more present, Lord. There are people that are looking for something real, people that are looking for hope, looking for forgiveness. Lord, we're the bridge to it. Would you help us to open our mouths for you, Lord? Would you help us to be more like Philip? Help us to go find a Nathaniel, Lord, who's looking for something in his life. Lord, we, we love you. Thank you for the time in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We'll take a break right there.